Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. And I'm your host, Peter Tong. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome to the, te- to, to the program today Dr. Shigenori Murata, originally from Japan and now living in Victoria, British Columbia, who has a very rich and varied background, a scholarly one and a philosophical one and a metaphysical one and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing his story today and, and what he believes we should be doing on the planet as we awaken to this higher level of awareness. Shigenori, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me today. So perhaps we could begin by uh, you giving our listeners a little bit of background of, about yourself and, and how you grew up and what your life was like as a young man or a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised in Japan. I was born in, in Tokyo, and I was raised in the modern, uh, in the ordinary uh, family. And but I, I felt I always felt a distance from uh, modern schooling system or modern education. Um, in elementary school, um, for instance, uh, being kind was not really uh, appreciated. For example. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that sad? <laughs> yeah, it is quite sad um, because if someone did well on a mathematics test or test in geography and so on, and they receive a lot of praise, but if someone helps other students who who was having difficulty, then this was not really appreciated, and so basically students were assessed according to our academic academic abilities and academic performance, but not according to how kind we are or how helpful we are and how loving we are. And I found, I found that a little difficult. So would you say then that you, were, that you were spiritual from a very young age? I'm not sure if I can say I was spiritual as uh, such, and I wasn't interested in religious stories or religious texts and that type of thing, but I, I was interested in love and, and kindness, 
and I felt love was, was fundamental to human beings, and I, I felt love was actually everything. Well, and there was no curriculum on love in the high schools or the, or the middle schools, were there? <laughs> That's exactly right. So as, as a society, through modern education, we are sending a strong message that um, love isn't really has a place in, in public life. So how did you manage that in your school system, which, again, was very scholarly and very academic and very focused, and you were feeling obviously somewhat different and, and wanting to focus more on, on these beautiful human qualities? So, so how did you cope and manage with that when you were at school? Well, that's a, question, uh, that's a good question, Peter. And that was a history of, of well, maybe a, a compromise, because on one hand, I wanted to fit in. Yes. I did feel the necessity to perform well academically, but on the other hand, I felt a distance from academic education and, and academic means. So uh, I had to manage myself on, 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 the, on, the, on the strange tension there. Right. And what did that, when you moved into high school, how did that work for you? Where, where did you go to school, actually? Um, during the high school days, I, uh, my family, we are living in a city called Kamakura, and Kamakura used to be a capital of Japan about 1,000 years ago. And uh, my school was, in fact, operated by um, a famous monastery in that, in that town. Um, but again, I was not really interested in spirituality as such, although my school was high school, uh, was Buddhist high school. Oh, it was a Buddhist high school? Was this high school is is operated and owned by a famous Zen monastery? Ah. Mm. So how was how was how was studying in a Buddhist high school different from regular school? It is not really different um, because I think there is law in Japan and and um, um, most school do adopt um, rules of of laid by Ministry of Education, so they, they cannot go too different from, from that rule. Um, but um, in extra curriculum, uh, there were lectures given by priests, monks, and there are some instances we can meditate in the monastery. Okay, yep. And so uh, when, when did your um, interest in spirituality begin to develop? What happened there? Right. Um, I was studying um, philosophy of um, philosophy of social sciences, and I I was interested in um, theory of of uh, international politics and so on at the graduate school. Then I found that there was no room for um, Asian wisdom. Then I, I I started to really look into this problem. And I found that there was no much um, Asian wisdom or Asian tradition was included. And so I started to read um, Buddhist texts and, and Shintoist texts and, and so on and so on. Then I started to meditate. And then I became interested in spirituality in that way. So how old were you at this point? I was in, in, in 20s. In the 20s, yeah? Yeah. And when you, when you say Asian wisdom, just explain to our listeners what you mean by that. Well, that's 
the big question in itself, <laughs> I think. <laughs> uh, particularly in this global age, I think um, traditions like Zen and different schools of yoga and so on are already very popular in in North America, Europe, and other parts of the world. So today, almost meaningless to, to say what is really Asian uh, with some Asian tra- traditions. But um, when I say Asian traditions or wisdom, I was, in the first instance, referring to traditional uh, teachings such as Buddhism and Shintoism and, and yoga. But there are many commonalities between those traditions and Christian mystical traditions. So, in some sense, it, the, the, the distinction itself is, is superficial, I think. I think. But, but in terms of the international politics, when you say there was no room or it wasn't included, just uh, explain a bit more about that. In international, say, in theory of international relations, international politics, um, the background of all those knowledge theories and, and philosophies and so on are coming from, obviously, Western background. So... Western philosophies uh, or Western theories are very much well accounted for, uh, well represented, but um, Asian um, thinking such as Zen and so on are not um, well accounted and represented, and and that's the way I, I became interested in spirituality. Oh, interesting. So looking back on your life now and looking at your spiritual uh, development and looking back at your school system, what are your feelings about education for children today? I think there is fundamental lack there in terms of spirituality, and we spend a lot of time in helping children to develop skills in terms of intellectual skills and intellectual knowledge, but there are not much time spent on educating people in terms of love or in terms of connection with soul and, and deeper level of consciousness, and, and that needs to be addressed quickly. I couldn't agree more with you. <laughs> oh, now, great. As this, you. as this uh, unfolds, you, you then um, started studying um, a very well-known Japanese philosopher. Mm-hmm. And he, his name is Nishida. Nishida, and his family name is Nishida, and his name, his own name is called Kitaro, and he was born in 18, 1870, and he died in 1945. And what was specifically attractive to you about his work and his philosophy and why you... Because you actually took a PhD at Oxford University on studying him, didn't you? I did, and, and my research was on Nishida in the first instance, but um, I, I use him in such a way to describe uh, our dependency on academic knowledge. So he provided me a great opportunity to, to expose or, or talk about our reliance on, on particular type of knowledge and wisdom. So uh, we're going to be coming up to our first break fairly soon, Shigenori, but I really want you to express uh, in the next section um, your findings because as we move forward in our world today uh, clearly we have this as you've already described in our educational system in our international political system we have a tremendous dependency 
and belief in the academic scholarly world, which doesn't necessarily help us uh, support people in the world. And so uh, I'll just begin a little comment now, and then we can talk about this in more detail after the break. Sounds great. So just give us one line on, on uh, the work of Nishida. Well, he is generally is acknowledged to be the first philosopher from Japan, and he is known as the philosopher who wrote about the place of absolute nothingness. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd like you to. I'd like you to try and describe that to us <laughs> when we come back. As well, not immediately when we come back, but absolute nothingness. That place. Um, that's going to be a challenge for anybody. But as you did a doctorate in it, I guess you're, you're the best person to explain it to us. Oh, I just, uh, I'm just absolutely delighted to, to have Shiganori on the show because we have a, an academic scholar who's also a wonderful, spiritual, loving man. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. I just want to remind you to go to our sponsor page, uh, com. We are currently engaged in a wonderful project, which is the Landscape Zodiacs of the World. And uh, not this Thursday, but next, the following Thursday, I will be uh, talking about our next journey into Taurus and the different elements of that particular journey and how we can use our knowledge of the different 12 uh, archetypes to transcend the Wheel of Karma and move into a path of freedom. So please check out www.myheartcenteredjourney.com. I'm really delighted today to have with me Dr. Shigenori Murata, who is a fairly unique individual in that he studied um, very academic scholarly work at the university level and has used the information that he, he, he gathered together to transform uh, his own life. So Shigenori, just tell us uh, about what your main findings were in your PhD research project around Nishida. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I, I thought Nishida 
as a subject for PhD was interesting in different ways. But uh, one of the things I found most fascinating was that Nishida himself was saying we all have to experience what he calls as the, the real, the real by which he means the place of absolute nothingness. And without having the direct experience of that, no one is really qualified to talk about it. <laughs> okay. He, yeah, that, that's, that, was, that was his uh, main thread of, uh, not my main thread, but he was, he said that in different occasions, and yet um, he didn't really explain how and how to explain it, uh, experience it. But Nishida himself uh, went through intense Zen meditation, and he had the experience of, of Kensho. And Kensho is, is usually translated, translated as experience of enlightenment. And so he had the experience of enlightenment as in the unity of the subject and object, and then he launched into more more squarely into philosophical domain, and he developed his career as a philosopher. And so we're looking at some really big uh, issues here when we talk, we talk about what is real and what is not real, and unity and enlightenment and absolute nothingness. So in, in your research, that must have been a bit of a challenge for you. I assume you had not experienced that at this stage in your life. No, I wasn't, and I, I was um, finding my uh, my own way to grip the subject. You're right, yeah. <laughs> so, so tell us how you did that. How, how did you go about doing that? I, I thought, um, uh, like you said, the subject itself is very complex and deep, and experience of, of deep, deep stuff takes years and years. But, but again, I thought maybe I should give it a try, and I should really start to meditate. So... I tried to meditate um, myself, and I went to a Zen group in England, in Oxford. But also, um, the other interesting thing is there are many different ways to meditate or to think about spirituality. So I, I also went to other um, meditation groups and, and other schools of, of spirituality, and I started to become interested in the diversity of spirituality. Now, does, this, does Nishida talk about uh, the spiritual experience of, of having some kind of vision? Uh, Nishida doesn't really talk about vision uh, because I think his experience coming from uh, Zen uh, tradition and Zen tradition in general doesn't talk about experience of vision. Um, however, I think spiritual diversity is important, and uh, what concerns me there is that uh, there is some tendency sometimes in modern Japanese Buddhism, uh, and also in academia, to dismiss mysterious, unusual experience. And you, you actually, the title of the show was, was to do with our dependence upon academic knowledge and we need to be careful about this dependency. So just speak about that a little bit now. It's a good time in the show for you to talk about what you mean, that it's, uh, we have to be careful about dependency on academic knowledge. Right. It's like, let, let, let's take an example. Let's say we eat vitamin A or vitamin B all the time, but not really eating other types of vitamins. And eating vitamin A is, of course, wonderful, but... Um, we have to eat other type of 
vitamins and minerals and so on. And academic knowledge is, we, we all know it's so powerful and very efficient. And we do need academic knowledge or academic methodologies to have a good grasp of this reality. Um, however, this reality is a tiny, tiny, tiny portion of the whole universe. And in order to know the depth of the whole universe and how, how mysterious the, world, the universe is, we need to really cultivate a deeper state of consciousness. I feel um, today we need to create a space or, or research domain uh, where we can contextualize intellectual knowledge. Now, Nishida, you said, did not uh, instruct of how to get to these states. He obviously described them and, and, and talked about them, but didn't actually give the, 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 the manual on how to get there. So um, you had to work that out for yourself, and you used meditation to do that. And so have you actually experienced those states yourself? I, I am a very confused individual because I <laughs> have... <laughs> Different experiences, and, and they don't—they um, don't really talk to each other sometimes. Um, and that's one of the, the things which can happen to, to someone if someone exposed to different type of um, spirituality and different um, approaches. Um, but um, one thing I can know is, is the universe is far deeper than we can ever imagine, and hence I think it is important to be not arrogant or too confident about one's own experience because there are always more to experience in the universe. <laughs> Absolutely. So from, from your studying of, of Nishida and your own experiences, I'd love you to try and put into words the experience of, of enlightenment, of unity, of absolute nothingness, those oneness, emptiness, all these expressions that many of us have, have heard used but if you haven't experienced it, it's very, very hard to understand what it is. So I'll put you on the spot, uh, Shiganori, and see if you can try and give us some insights into either your own experiences or Nishida's. Yeah, well, that's a big uh, question. And, and, and um, one thing I want to say at first is we all know that experience of oneness or experience of emptiness, all those experiences uh, completely beyond any language or any concept. <laughs> so we cannot, uh, like you said, really talk about it. Uh, we have just experienced them directly. But uh, let's start with emptiness. Emptiness in Mahayana Buddhism context means traditionally lack of substance. But lack of substance means many different things to many people, I, I think. And I have very different types of experience of lack of substance or emptiness. And one thing we should think about is when we say about lack of substance, which level of substance are we talking about? And in my view, if you reach certain level, level of lack of substance, i.e. emptiness, one can probably exposed to a higher level of oneness. But there are many people who experience emptiness and oneness are the same thing. 
And for many people, they are not. And sometimes, uh, lack of substance, as in emptiness, means having no vision. But for some people, um, having a certain, a certain type of vision is essential to experience emptiness. So we are looking at a very complex, complex picture here. So when we talk about oneness and unity consciousness, how, how would they be the same or different? Unity consciousness, I think uh, the term is all-compassing and, and can mean many things to many people. And there are different levels of unity, I believe, as much as there, there are different levels of uh, oneness. And oneness can sometimes um, involve some sort of, of um, intense vision, um, but it doesn't sometimes. And I think we, 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 are, we are here, I think, uh, there is no means to, to explain those things. Right. So when you, were, when you were having your experiences and you were doing your meditations uh, and you would have whatever experience you had, did you get those aha moments like, oh, that's what Nishida was talking about? Did that happen to you? It happened many times <laughs> to me, okay. but again, um, every day I'm growing, and every day my level of consciousness is changing, my understanding is changing. So, um, and I think Nishida himself did have uh, initial experience of oneness when he was at the temple, but he stopped his experience of meditation there, and he didn't really... Uh, take up again, seriously. So, um, yeah, I, I, I had aha moments, but um, of, of course, I'm just an individual here, and I'm very limited. <laughs> oh, I'm not so sure about that, Shigenori. I think you've got a pretty profound understanding of this, and what's beautiful for me is that having gone into a very uh, challenging academic area of, of scholarly uh, research, that you've come out the other end, still the loving being that you went in with. You haven't lost that connection to, to all that is in, in that beautiful, loving way. So it's, it's wonderful that someone like you exists who can, who can do both, who can do the scholarly piece and also be fully connected in, in terms of the love vibration. And, and what's really important for us, and, and this has been a fairly, uh, let's say, academic section, but what's important, I think, for us, Shiganori, is the fact that you've taken this very deep and profound awareness uh, that you learned from Nishida, and now you're applying it to what actually we should be doing in the world, which is uh, obviously treating each other in a, in a much kinder and, and more loving way. So after we return from this second break, I'm going to be asking you uh, to share your experiences of how we can bring that uh, information from Nishida uh, and that you gained and bring it out into the world today so we can use it usefully. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? 
Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. Listening on a Higher Dimension, 7th Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. I'm absolutely delighted to have with me today Dr. Shigenori Murata, who has taken on an incredibly challenging life of studying Nishida, the first Japanese philosopher, and looking at really challenging areas of, of oneness and nothingness and, and how all this works through the deeper levels of uh, states of consciousness. And Shigenori, I'd, I'd love to hear what you have to say about when people think about meditation and awakening, they often talk about uh, Kundalini energy rising and the chakra system. What, what does Zen or the Japanism, Japanese Buddhism say about Kundalini and chakras? Usually they don't really talk about um, Kundalini energy as such. In Japanese, modern, uh, in Japanese Buddhist traditions, Kundalini is represented or referred as a type of deity, and a deity which uh, protects uh, Buddhist teaching. And in that way, Kundalini uh, still lives in Japanese tradition, uh, but not as energy as such. Uh, but if I, 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 con- I uh, conducted different interviews during my research and afterwards with um, med- who have been meditating according to Zen methods or other Buddhist methods, and that's, uh, then I found that uh, many people do have uh, a similar experience as, as Kundalini. And here again, we are thinking about, uh, uh, talking about a complex picture of a diversity of spiritual experiences. And so, so just give us your own um, view and your own experience of and what you believe yourself to do with Kundalini and the chakras. I, I think Kundalini is very strong uh, and profound energy and I was meditating once and I started to experience it myself uh, very slowly um, but I think it, it can be violent and, and one has to be careful and, but using Kundalini energy allows any, any of us to open our chakras and our energy systems and open our, our energy systems and chakras, that allows us to go deeper and have more access to deeper uh, aspects of the universe. 
And so in terms of your own particular practice, you've mentioned that there's a diversity of uh, different meditation techniques that can be used. So in terms of when you, when you are focusing on working with the, uh, the chakras and awakening the energies and the kundalini energy, what, what type of meditation do you tend to use to do that? I um, often just start with relaxation. And relaxation naturally leads into um, calming my mind. And once my mind is calm, then different things can take place. So every day I have a different type of meditation. So, my, so let's say my meditation is just relaxation and let it go and see how it goes. <laughs> So, so you just allow yourself to be to be free and easy in the way it goes, and just just get yourself into a, a relaxed state. Uh, yeah, I think that's the way I usually approach meditation. Yes, that's right. So, Shikanori, what I want to get into now is is what I know for you is the most important message that you want to put across to our listeners today. Having done all of your research and got this very solid foundation and awareness of deeper states of consciousness and meditation and the way in which our world is existing at the moment, just talk a little bit about what you think is going wrong in the world and what we need to do differently. I, I believe um, in modern worlds, we live in, in, in a very materially rich world, i.e. we have many goods at home, and we have internet, and we have telephones, and so on and so on. But... We are not really spiritually informed, so we have to come to terms with more more complete way to inform us, because today we are not uh, well educated spiritually, and we tend to look at any issues from a secular and intellectual point of view. So we need somehow compensate that tendency, and. And the way in which we do it is, I think, um, there are many ways, of course, but one way is meditation, and the other way is best technique, yoga, and, and praying, and, and reading different books, and so on. There are many ways, but, but in any case, I think we have to have more balance in the way in which we, we approach the world. And a lot of people are living their lives at a very fast pace and, and, and doing all sorts of activities, uh, which, which really doesn't um, support this type of uh, deep comp contemplation, does it? I think you're absolutely right. And we tend to have such a fast, fast-paced life. And we, when we are relaxed, we can have more space in us. And when we have more space, then we have more, more capabilities available to us to deepen our understanding and the world. So, so why do you think we, we allow ourselves to have all of these distractions in our lives which, which actually prevent us from making this deeper connection? Almost like we, we, are, um, we have disease in some sense, disease <laughs> of <laughs> having projects and having purposes and having, um, you know, structure in our life in a rigid way. And we are obsessed with sense of achievement. And 
there we have to be really careful because I think we are coming to the point where you know our whole whole Mother Earth cannot sustain our lifestyle, and we don't have uh, much tourists uh, untouched left, and we have to somehow find a way in which we can more deepen our appreciation about what we have on on Mother Earth. So as someone who who went through um, a very scholarly academic uh, process and from school through university and then then going to Oxford, and you've reached this this level of awareness yourself, just explain to our listeners how you have managed to live your life in this much more um, relaxed lifestyle, still living in this very hectic world, in the Western world in which we live. How have you managed to do it yourself? I I tend to think... um that we have more than we can deal with in the world, and we have, we have actually, we are surrounded by many, many wonderful things. And, and for instance, when I wake up in the morning, there is morning. Oh my God, there is morning. <laughs> <laughs> it came. It came, and after after having morning, there is, there will be afternoon, and that itself is, oh my God, it, it's it's highly, highly wonderful thing, and. After waking up, we, we go to the toilet, and there is a toilet, and, and there is water running. and So I think we have to have more appreciation for our life, but also we tend to think that um, like happiness comes in a special moment and a special day, and yes, we are surrounded by happiness, and we are made of happiness itself, so to come to come to terms with that is essential for anyone. So this is a really critical point because you've been talking about this obsession with achievement, having to do things, and, and, and now saying then that, that so many people believe that their happiness comes out of achieving something or doing something rather than just being who they are. That's exactly right. And that's, I think, uh, that's the important message, not only spiritual people, but people in business banking system and a research area and world organizations, and we all have to come to with this, this issue. Otherwise, we, we make ourselves too busy, too occupied, and we remain unhappy. Meanwhile, we, dest- we, we end up destroying our, our, mar- our mother earth. Absolutely. And so a lot of this comes back to the way we were trained, back to where we started, actually, back to the way, the way we were trained in school, to be achievers, to be successful, was to be able to do things and achieve things. And so we sort of have this uh, preconceived notion of who we are supposed to be rather than who we really would like to be inside. That's exactly right. And, and I think modern society in general encourages us to be so, and that's the danger of our time. So what do you spend most of your day doing now? When you've appreciated that you're morning and you and you get up and there's water running and and what do you actually spend your time doing most days? I I do uh, meditation and uh, but apart from just doing meditation to live in in a happy environment is uh, very essential because when we are ourselves happy we have room to help other people and also we have we have power to communicate this happiness to other people. And I believe um, happiness is contagious, and it, it spreads. So we, 
individual, all of us can be sort of almost like ambassador of happiness. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that is actually what you are doing in your world today is, is to help other people be happy. And just tell us a bit about what you are doing in your work. Um, as a life coach, I am helping people to really appreciate the core values of who they are. And for spiritual seekers, I, I help them to integrate spiritual values into their business life and, and family life. And I think um, it, is, it is easy to start any spiritual practice, but it's very difficult to maintain it. So sometimes it's helpful to have um, someone to encourage you to stay on the spiritual path. And why is it why is it so hard for people to do that? Because I, I know that's true that people have great intentions and they and they have new ideas and they're going to follow a, a certain uh, path of, of spiritual life and and then have great difficulty following through with that. Why is that? I think we don't have much opportunity today to to contact with with highest and pure, purest parts of who we are. And if we lose the contact of that side of things, it's very easy from there to turn into um, just busy, busy modern person, so to speak. Absolutely, yeah. So in, in, in helping people, in coaching people, how do you uh, support them in getting, uh, getting that practice uh, on a regular embedded basis for the person? I, I think... I, I encourage them to be really, really honest about what they really want, because what we really want is um, stable, peaceful, happy life. And to have stable and happy life requires having certain type of lifestyle. And to have this kind of certain lifestyle requires having certain type of values and attitudes. And, and that's the starting point of my coaching. Great. Well, we're just coming up to our final break, Shiganori, and I'm, and I'm going to continue with this uh, line of questioning when we come back because I think it's really important that people hear your message. And we haven't yet talked about uh, how we also need to reconnect back to nature because that's another really important part, I believe, and I know you believe, of, of our connecting back to, uh, to who we really are and, and really getting a, a sense of, uh, of ourselves in the world. That's absolutely important. So we'll take our final break. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network.
listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Uh, and I'm your host, Peter Tung. I'm really uh, delighted to have with me Dr. Shigenori Murata today. And Shigenori, as, as you obviously come from Tokyo originally, uh, I'd love to hear your uh, comments on, upon the current situation in the Jap- Japan with the tsunami and the, and the nuclear plant and all the issues around that. Yes, I, I think it, the time ha- has come and uh, we have to take things more seriously and um, things in, in Fukushima um, nuclear power plant is still very unstable and we are not really well informed about it and mass media uh, in Japan are um, under control of electric companies and they operate those nuclear power plants so we cannot really rely on, on the information um, coming from um, mass media only. And we all have to um, change our awareness and, and really take um, the risk of having um, nuclear power plants more seriously. Absolutely. And, and so and the next piece we were going to talk about was the reflection of that is, is how important it is for us to go out into nature and honor nature and be part of it. Just talk about that a little bit in your spiritual practice. I love uh, nature, and uh, nature uh, is so fundamental. And sometimes um, spiritual seekers general tend to um, remain being at home and not um, really going in, into nature. Um, but I think that's the missing piece one of the missing pieces today in terms of spirituality, I feel um, nature is is important um, gift, and not only gift, but also uh, important friends and teachers to us. And I think every every single um, plant, for instance, they have different vibrations and, and energies and wisdom, and how to in touch with that, uh, for instance, is, is very essential for us to develop our deep, deep consciousness. And another, another element um, in terms of deepening our awareness and consciousness is uh, the importance of forgiveness and love. Absolutely. And we tend to um, burden ourselves in many different ways. And one of the ways we often burden ourselves is not to forgive us. Often we are, um, we are restricted by sense of guilt and sense of, of past wrongdoings and so on. And not that we don't need to think about uh, past wrongdoings. And of course, we, we, we all need to learn from them. But once we learn, we have to move on and we have to let things go. And the, the reason why we cannot extend a deeper consciousness is partly because we have such a strong, um, uh, we, we are strongly restricted by the sense of wrongdoings and, and, and past experience, past negative experiences. 
So it's important to forgive ourselves. And again, when you're working with, with your clients, how, how do you get them to that place of both self-forgiveness and forgiveness of others? I think uh, we all want to forgive ourselves and we, we all want to uh, move on. And just one thing missing from a client usually is just a gentle push from the back. <laughs> <laughs> so usually it's not difficult and they find their own way to forgive themselves, and so my, my role is just only to facilitate that. So you, you hold the space for them, and you just give them a gentle nudge, and, and off they go. That's right. So, so Shiganori, if anybody wanted to connect with you and uh, engage with you as a, as a life or business coach, how do they make contact with you? Uh, through email is the best point at, uh, at this stage. Okay, and uh, what, is your, what is your email address? My email is uh, murata, so M-U-R-A. D A and then meditation, so M E D I T A T I O N at gmail dot com. So Murata Meditation at Gmail dot com. Murata Meditation at Gmail dot com and Murata is M U R A T A yeah. all one word, Murata Meditation at Gmail dot com. Fantastic. Yeah. Now as you've got meditation in, in the in your email address we have talked about meditation a little bit. Um, what is the secret to becoming a good meditator? I think uh, well, there are many secrets, as you know, because you yourself are a great teacher of meditation. And I think the best way is to relax. Relaxation is fundamental. And relaxation is, is something we all um, have to learn, and we all have our, our different ways to relax us. So finding their own way, their, their own individual way to come to, come to terms with the relaxation is, uh, is essential for deepening meditation. And in terms of uh, use of the breath, is that something that you think is important to work with? I, I think um, breath is fundamental um, because... Um, state of mind is usually comes with the, the state of breath, and when our breath is happy, our mind is happy, and so it is essential to have good breath when in in doing meditation. And is there a particular technique that you like to use? Um, not really. There, say we can count numbers. We can just focus on the breath. We can think about a particular image. We can think of a particular mantra. Uh, all, all those techniques all work. Um, so I think we all have to find our own way of doing things. And when all those ex extraneous thoughts and things we're supposed to be doing uh, entry into our mind and we, we want to be at that peaceful and relaxing place, how do you instruct people? How do you help people to clear the mind of all the chitter-chatter and the ego clutter? Uh, I think um, sometimes we have very strong expectation and we, we pressure ourselves and we feel we have to meditate and we have to have good meditation. And those expectations are, are very, very much burdened. And so letting go of the expectation and pressure uh, is, is a very important step. Absolutely. 
And I want to give you this is the final the final word for you today, Shiganori. Just give us a final word on the significance and importance of love, and actually what it is. I I think the, the world itself is made of love, and so uh, in theory, it is not too difficult. Shouldn't be difficult for us to come to terms with love, and in fact, uh, we are surrounded by love itself, and so come to terms with uh, this love is not only healing ourselves but fundamental for us to reconstruct our society and culture. That's a wonderful uh, way to finish the show, Shigenori. I've really appreciated and enjoyed our time together today. You've tackled tackled a, tackled a very challenging subject to talk about and, and have done so beautifully and, and, uh, and come to this final conclusion that we are surrounded by love all the time if only we pay attention to it. So thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having us, having me and I, I really enjoyed your interview. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. Bye-bye. Thank you. So uh, lots to think about in terms of uh, the message that Shiganori brings, a beautiful story. So next week, my guest is Mahendra Trivedi, uh, a, a remarkable uh, man from India who has had, oh, I think, over 4,000 scientific studies done uh, demonstrating his abilities to work with uh, agriculture, with plants, and with uh, different ceramics and molecular and atomic structure changes, and also helping people raise their vibration and frequency. I actually had a Trivedi uh, blessing last night, and... Uh, I'm still vibrating from it today, so it's going to be a really interesting show next week. And uh, there will also be an opportunity to receive a blessing uh, from a package that will be offered during the show. Just a final reminder to go to our sponsors, www.myheartcenteredjourney.com and check out the Ambassadors of Light program there. Please do follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And I really hope that you enjoy a wonderful week. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.